This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Chris Howard of Worriesville. Communication is a common thread in her life, from the parch she played in school plays to her career as a speech pathologist to a never-ending passion for community theater and now founding a company to make a documentary about local activists. She founded the not-for-profit Sure-Footed Film. Its logo comes from an old picture of her father on top of a very tall, slender tree, arms spread wide as if he may take flight. Each of us, young and old, is part of history, she wrote. Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and today we're talking to Chris Howard, who lives in New Scotland and has started a company called Sure-Footed Films. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Melissa. Well, I want to start with the name. I just love your website. Um, People who go to the website will see this amazing picture. I thought it was an artwork. I didn't think it could be real. But Chris told me it's a photograph. Tell us what that photograph is. Right. He took a photograph of my dad who had a tree service in the 50s, 60s, and a little bit into the 70s. And we had a graphic artist um, at Corner Gateway take that photo and create our logo. So that photo of my dad at the very top of a tree was taken by my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, because in the summer, my grandparents would drive up from Kansas and my grandfather would go to work with my dad. And it's it's um, a photo that we recently found. And I, I, I said to my brother, my dad has passed. I said to my brother, how did dad how did how did he get how did how did he climb like that because I never went to work with him and Terry had he said there are spikes on the inside of the boots and the tree person the tree man or woman <laughs> climbs climbs up with that and my my dad was just incredibly strong with excellent coordination and there's the photo of him at the top of a very tall tree and the the branch the, the the trunk of the tree is really only about 10 inches wide and he's standing I mean yeah he looks it, like he's about to take <laughs> flight his arms are out and this tree is easily five times his height I can't believe that it's real and then the the text next to it is also I find just riveting it says each of us young and old is part of history To climb to the top of this tree, my dad strapped spikes to the inside of his boots. Struggle, triumph, repeat. (laughs) That's just such a wonderful metaphor for life. So did did you write that? I wrote that. Oh, I love it. I just love it. So is that where the name Sure Footed comes from? This idea that you can... Photo. Mm -hmm. We want to create confidence. We're a new company. We want people to be confident in us. And we want to also drive home the theme that 
um, we have started our our, our career in documentary filmmaking with uh, inter interviewing the activist who started in the 50s. And we feel so um, determined and motivated and inspired to capture those stories, share them with the world, save them forever, because these are stories that the world needs to hear. And it's wonderful how they're displayed on your website. It's like a simple grid, and then there's a portrait of each person that you can click on, and it comes to life, of course, because it's a video. And that's interesting. I noticed they were all older activists, you know? And so it's your idea to, to sort of preserve these stories before these people are gone. Is that... Exactly. And... And where, what was the genesis of this idea? Because it reminds me of, you know, the Federal Writers Project, the WPA project in the 1930s, where um, all these amazing life stories that reached back to, like, the Wild West and people born uh, in slavery, because it was such a reach back from the 1930s. Yes. So was that part of your thinking? Where did where did this come from, this idea? You know, I, I um, think um, listening to NPR, StoryCorps, um, I thought, oh, that's so cool, you know. And um, then um, I, I just was thinking about four years ago, I started thinking, what can I do? What can I do? Um, uh, and then I remembered some very dear friends and their life work. Um, I first met these folks that you see in the interviews back in the 80s. And back in the 80s, I never dreamed that, you know, what, 40 years, 40 years later, I would be involved in this project. But, you know, you, I retired from being, um, a life, like my whole adult life, I was a speech language pathologist with a strong um, interest in local theater. So I think what happened is a combination of, of hearing, being inspired by these folks since the 80s, hearing about things, projects like StoryCorps, and also having a good sense of how to tell a story is a great thing to bring to filmmaking and all my years of theater. I mean, I directed my first play here in Voorheesville one summer, the summer I was, I was still in high school, I was going into my senior year. Um, and it was in the social hall of the Voorheesville Methodist Church and directed a full length play, Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward. And the proceeds we do donated to Heldeberg Workshop. So I have a strong, you know, I, I, I just threw a lot of things in that salad bowl. I threw a lot at you, but um, I've, I've had a lifelong interest in, um, in helping, helping others, you know. Um, and uh, so that was the first time I did any fundraising for and Heldeberg workshop was just is was and is and I, I was one of I was in the first class of Heldeberg workshop because my mom helped Jean Polly so theater was that with Mr. Weeks was that when it was still taught oh, at the Voorheesville theater Mr. Weeks yes and 
Bob Andrews, but Richard Weeks came along in about 1968, um, and we formed the Dionysians. Um, and and you may know of the Dionysians. There's sure, a, we uh, write about it every every season. Our, we I was in that uh, where we said, you know what, we need a name. You know, we had just been the senior play that kind of thing and uh we we just grew because of richard weeks and when that 50th anniversary came up in 69 it was 68 60 the 68 69 school year and then my class graduated in 69 we had a 50th anniversary of the formation of the dionysians with the wonderful robert whiteman is his i think Mm -hmm. is his name yeah the director um at Voorheesville and got to know him and those kids that year. And we had Mr. Weeks' widow, Corrine Weeks, and their daughters came to, and we presented beautiful framed photographs of him with a couple of us. And it was great. Oh, so, wow. Well, I want to so, take apart the salad bowl that you've, you've yeah. mentioned and take some of the pieces out and look at them. Yeah. So, um, Let's talk about speech pathology. What, sure. What is what was that career like? What what specifically did you do? It all started in Voorheesville. Um, the federal and state laws changed. Public law um, required every school district to educate children with special needs. This was a first. This happened in the 60s. And um, my mother had been a nurse. And, you know, Voorheesville is a small town. Uh, The principal at then that the principal at that time at Voorheesville Elementary called my mother. Would she be an aide in a special ed classroom? Because my my goodness, back then, that was the person who gave the medication to the kids. That's all changed. Mom is um, comes home one night from after working in that world, and she says, "There's a speech therapist that comes to our class." And I said, "Oh," and I was playing Annie Sullivan in the Miracle Worker with the Dionysians. And here's my mother saying, there's this thing called this beautiful convergence of theater. Oh my God, just so people who don't know, Annie Sullivan is the woman that taught Helen Keller language. And she was indeed a miracle worker. So here you were playing this person who brought speech and connection to the world oh, and yeah, it gets be- even better melissa because the young man um who played the doctor you know i'm not going to be able to remember the character's name but annie sullivan's at um a wonderful school in the boston area and the doctor calls her into his office and says there's a family down south the keller family they need they have a, a deaf and blind daughter and they they're looking for a teacher and how about it? And she takes it. The, the, the kid who played that doctor is now my husband. <laughs> and he's a doctor. It's <laughs> Richard Howard, my wonderful husband. So I went to, because my mom mentioned speech therapy and I was so interested after playing Annie Sullivan, I read and observed the wonderful Ross Stonefield. 
Um, he worked for BOCES as a speech language pathologist. Um, and he, he apologized. I walked in to watch him work and he said, oh, Chris, I'm so sorry. I'm not doing speech therapy with the kids today. I have to do some testing. And what I observed was him administering a fascinating test of receptive vocabulary called the Peabody Picture Vocabulary Test. And I, it blew my mind. I didn't, it, I, it was the best thing to see because these kids were so handicapped, they could not speak. But Ross showed them um, one page at a time, starting with the very simplest uh, 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 page with four different pictures. And he'd say, point to the cow. The kid point to the cow. It got up so they point to the fire hydrant. The kids pointed. So here was this miracle to me that a child who could not speak could show us what they know simply by showing their level of ability with receptive language. And I, I was I, I knew what I wanted to be. I went to Fredonia. I was in only one theater production at Fredonia, even though I thought, you know, I thought I, you know, speech theater was still sort of struggling. And I knew I was going to leave theater behind me professionally and stick with speech because they said, oh, you have to have a high grade point average to get in. And theater was dragging <laughs> grade point average. So I'm like, oh, I must really want to be a speech language pathologist. So that, so I am. I was. I'm still licensed. And and so, did you work in a school setting? Did you work in a private? How what? How did your career play yes. out? Yes and yes. Um, I started in the school. Started um, with New York State Department. They called it in 1973 the New York State Department of Mental Hygiene. That's very politically incorrect now, and it's called people with. Um, uh, Oh, gosh, I don't know exactly what it's called now. Um, so I won't even go there. But um, I, from there, I took a um, job in, in BOCES. After um, BOCES, I had a uh, just a regular public school job. Then I went back to school for another uh, graduate degree. And I was determined to work in a hospital setting. So I worked at Bassett Hospital in Cooperstown. Then I did early intervention, which is like being an independent contractor with a county and back to the public schools. And end of my career, I was doing private practice in Albany. And then we moved to Voorheesville and I stopped doing private practice. But you've done it all. And did it live up to your expectations from the Annie Sullivan portrayal? Did you have a sense of giving people this connection to the world and... Yes. And, you know, um, when you think about it, uh, it, it really there's a common theme here. Theater, speech pathology, filmmaking. Um, let's 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 um, toss that salad. And what we have is a passion for communicating, because that's what theater speech pathology and and filmmaking is about. It's um wonderful ways of communicating and telling stories. 
Yeah, and I love the connection in your life between life and art. <laughs> you know, there are all yeah. these things that fit together. But another piece of the salad here is this, you stayed, even though in Fredonia you played it down so you could concentrate on high grades, but you said for all of your life you've been involved in theater. Tell us a little about what that involvement has been like. Oh, it all started, really started in fifth grade where uh, my wonderful fifth grade teacher in Voorheesville um, cast me at, as the lead in his version of Alice in Wonderland. And my mother made the costume and it was, you know, so then, you know, I spoke of uh, directing in high school, try, thinking about theater and college, leaving it behind. So I come back into community theater um, and again, um, Richard Weeks is still alive. I'm a young woman um, trying to think. I think I had at least one child by then. And Slingerland's Players was a vital force in the community. The Morrisons, Bill uh, and Lois Morrison uh, and Richard Weeks were huge at Slingerland's Players. And that was in Unionville, which is between Del Mar and Clarksville. It's no longer in existence to the best of my knowledge. Um, uh, after, you know, yeah, I had more children. Um, I, I went from Slingerland's Players to Albany Civic. And then from Albany Civic to Schenectady Civic Players, homemade theater. Uh, but I would say in the last 10 years, 15 years, my, my energy has really zeroed in on Schenectady Civic Players, and um, COVID put an end to that. But I did, the last play I directed was in 2018, um, in October of that year, I uh, directed, and this had been a dream come true, I directed Mad Woman of Shio there, and as I say to my my now film editor, the the wonderful Tony Grocky, I say, you know, I know this is my first film and it's not his first film. Like it's his like 60th film that he's done film editing on. But I but I say, Tony, I bring all that theater experience to this. So he's like, That's but why my. was the Mad Woman of Cayo your dream come true? Oh, what? Cayo. Um, well, it actually fits into the, um, the theme of activism. That, you, uh, I don't know if you know this, but that play was written right after World War II by a wonderful French playwright, Jean Giraudoux. Um, Paris had been occupied by the German army. Um, in fact, he think he started the writing Mad Woman of Shio when um, the Germans were still occupying Paris. And it is this wonderful, this woman um, who is the Mad Woman of Shio. You never hear a real name in the play. She is an older woman in the movie of the play. It's played by Catherine Hepburn. So you can kind of get a visualization of what you know, uh, she looked like she's older, she's eccentric. The people in the neighboring, the neighborhood cafe adore her. And she's a hero because instead of the Germans being beaten in the play, she, um, she conquers a horrible company that wants to 
drill for oil. They've discovered oil under Paris and they don't care about how beautiful Paris is or the environment back then. They're going to drill for oil. And um, so this is sort of like environmental activism and uh, without giving too much of the play away, um, oil, at the end of the play, there is no oil drilling in Paris. No, no, thanks to the mad woman of child. And P.S., another kind of sad uh, side note to that na- that neighborhood in Paris is that that's the neighborhood where um, Princess Diana um, lost her life. Um, and there's, in that part of Paris, there's an eternal flame for her memory. So that's Shio. Well, that is a perfect segue into your <laughs> life now, the Mad Woman of Slingerland. What what is it that um, you Morrisville? <laughs> what is it that you are doing now and well, drawing on all of this storytelling uh, and theater like, and speech here. and yes, struggle time. This I sh- I decided to show you. This is about eight pounds. Um, It's over um, 500 pages of transcription because starting pre-COVID in early 2019, we began interviewing local heroic people who, um, for example, in 19, our first person we interviewed was Arlen Westbrook, with Mickey Kahn, uh, Mickey Cunningham Kahn, because I had heard that they had written a book. Um, I knew Arlen from Voorheesville. Arlen and her hus- then husband in 1957 were the first family in Del Mar to rent to a family of color. And Mickey was 12 years old. She was the daughter in that family. And the name of their book is Integrating Delmar, the Story of a Friendship. So we that's we started with them. And then we also interviewed two, three Quaker women who were peace activists in Vietnam. And then our capstone for that year was interviewing Alice Green. Uh, who started the Center for Law and Justice, and Earl Thorpe, who started, was one of the founding members of the Brothers. So Alice and Earl brought strong civil early civil rights stories to our project. And what is the project? What is going to be the end piece here? The title of the whole documentary is The Activist Next Door, And it's going to be a three-part documentary in April, part one, which deals with the civil rights era, will be screened at the Albany Film Festival. We, Paul Grondel, invited us to do a screening at the, it'll be the third annual Albany Film Festival, and it's held at the University of Albany. And uh, we have prepared the trailer, we're almost done with the trailer for part one. Um, wonderful people. Um, the stories, we of course, in a four minute, this is just a, a four minute, we're calling it a party trailer, but it will be posted on our website. And 
we we couldn't include every single activist we interviewed in, in, that helped with civil rights in this area starting in the thir- in the fifties, but we we have most of them in there. So. So this first part is centered on civil rights, and the centerpiece of it is the integration of Delmar in the 50s based on this no. relationship? No. No, we can't call it the centerpiece. Um, it, it is very much woven into a one whole, but I, was, um, I, would, I would say that when we started interviewing in 2019, that was one of the first interviews we we. Did. I see you and started so, there, but yeah, we started there, and yeah, so so it, in no way is it the most at the centerpiece. It is part of a a larger narrative. Yes, yes pretty evenly. So, yeah. how does this work? Making a documentary, you start <laughs> with kind of an idea, and then as you interview, it changes, or just like walk us through the process here it's been multi years so it's going to be hard to summarize but well before covid the name of the project we didn't really the name of the film the working title was talk about activism and our goal was to not only have these um dedic- these interviews of of the wonderful activists and back in their their day when they started, our our goal was also to have forums so that young people, teenagers, college students could actually sit down with that generation and have a dialogue. And we thought that would be an exciting documentary film, but COVID put the kibosh on that. And so we morphed and now we are I would say we have a, th- a three-part documentary. Part one is the civil rights era. Part two will be Vietnam. And part three, we're calling Mares, Malls, and Butterflies, because we will talk about Albany City politics and the, um, the struggle to pierce through a uh, you know, a curtain of corruption um, during the Corning era it was a stronghold, and neighborhoods. You know, law coding, neighborhood code, code enforcement was terrible. But also that spilled over to the Pine Bush. So we have some wonderful um, interviews um, for part three: mayors, malls, and butterflies. Of course, butterfly refers to the Carner Blue. Butterfly in the pine bush. So, so with each one of these three sections, do you have different sets of activists that you're interviewing for them? I see. Yes. Now, but there's spillover. For, for example, um, what's a a good example of someone who um, Reggie Harris um, and Ruth Pelham we've interviewed. They, and they're both singers. They're both singer-songwriters. We have Reggie. Reggie will be in part one, civil rights. Um, he will be in part two, Vietnam. And he will be in part three <laughs> about the uh, saving the pine bush. Ruth Pelham will be part two, 
um, mostly. Um, but some spillover of Ruth's interview will will happen in part three with the Save the Pine Bush. Um, you know, it's, it was really tempting with um, with Ruth, especially as you know, uh, you must be familiar with the music mobile. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yes. She's also a uh, strong woman's rights uh proponent and has done a lot with nuclear disarmament and the environment. And, you know, there have been other activist movements such as, you know, gay rights and, um, you know, we have climate change which is really strong in this area, wonderful activity to, um, to combat, um, to, yeah, grow environment, um, groups. So, but we cannot do it. We cannot do it all. So we've had to really be strategic because um, part of the process of making a documentary film is um, you discover that it is expensive. It is time consuming and expensive. And I have another business, so I cannot devote full time to filmmaking. I do the best I can. Um, And the this big party that we're having September 17th is the formal launch of Surefooted Films. And it is also a fundraiser. Um, we need to get some money coming in because too much money has been going out. I've been self-funding it on my, my own. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. And I'm tapped out. We have to reach out. And we think we're now at the point where we can show this trailer and we can have those interviews on the website and people can see the quality of what we're doing and hopefully say, oh, yes, this is worthy of our financial support. So September 17th is huge. Um, Fresh start for us. Once we get that base going, we can stand tall and start writing grants. So um, New York Council for the Arts, the local arts council, and then we'll build from there. And um, that's the plan. So if all goes well, and I hope it does, you'll have this base of support, financial support, and you'll complete these three sections. Will it then become one film at the end or will they always be like a separate you know, separate documentaries on the, you know, the integration, then the Vietnam War, then the mayors. I forgot the middle one. Malls and butterflies. Yeah. It will be one film. One film. And um, if we do our job right, it will be suitable for education, um, educational settings and for uh, public television. That was my next question. Who's the audience? Film festivals. Yes. So high school, uh, people who like public television and independent um, filmmaking, at, uh, especially focused on documentary film, film festivals. Um, and, I, and of course, we have to say activists of all ages and the people who support them are part of our audience, too. And I'm intrigued because it's so local. Yes. <clears throat> and as a newspaper, that's what we're about. We're about local. And these days, almost all the focus is national. So tell me about the value of local. 
Well, when um, in 2019, we we started with the most elderly activists, and they were from. I'm looking at this um, uh, Center Square in Albany, 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 Troy, East Greenbush, Schenectady, Del Mar, Schenectady. So I just I just went down. Um, those are the the um, I would say civil rights, peace, community activism, Albany City Council is talking, uh, Albany Friends Meeting Qua are also known as Quakers, um, art activism, all of that. Um, we captured that in 2019. In 2021, I, I'm looking at the people we interviewed and I see Albany, Middleburg, Albany, 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 Schenectady, Saratoga, Albany, Albany. And we did, we've done only one interview this year because we had to stop. We had, we had so much, we had to <laughs> slow down. And we have just um, the wonderful uh, Jean-Rémy Monet from the um, Black Theater Troupe of Upstate New York, uh, was our only interview so far this year, and he is Albany-based. Oh, he's Albany and Schenectady-based. They have a home at Cap Rep and at Proctor's in Schenectady. That theater troupe—they're oh, they're they're wonderful. We're strong support. My husband and I are are big supporters of them and their work. Yeah, so. I just so many of us like when you think civil rights, you have an image of the March on Washington. You know, yes. to think of how. There were grassroots movements for each of these very important things that were happening right here, but that hasn't become part of the consciousness the way the national things have. So I think that's your gift to the community. We want to show the local collection with national and international issues, and we just so, we just so. We're so determined to create an archive that people can go to for generations, starting with the the young the young people today. Um, when they write a report about civil rights, they'll be able to reference local people who work so hard and have such great stories. And you know, a, a part of the filmmaking process, you you go out and you get B roll, and B roll can be as simple as, um, for example, we said to Alice Green, Alice, we need a photo of you as a young person because we, we, we're doing that with all of our activists. So the young people today can really, it will be visually very clear, you know, you are a young person just like them and look what you've accomplished. So um, you, we get those photos from our activists. We also take footage of them in their world um, I, I filmed, uh, for example, Danell Joseph is one of our activists. He really cares about um, civil rights and community activism. He's from South Central Los Angeles, but he now lives in Albany and he wrote a book about his years in prison. He used to be a member of a gang. And of course, you can imagine the stories he has to tell. But we have wonderful b-roll of him with his neighbors in in his neighborhood um in in albany and 
it's just a beautiful thing to see the um, how how people overcome that sort of hardship. Um, so the other part of B-roll, when you talk about civil rights, for example, is when you're making a film, you go to sources that have footage that relate to your topic. So we go to a play and you, and you have to give credit and you have to get permission. So if we can't just show any, any old footage we have of the March on Washington, we purchased um, about three, four minutes of news coverage of that era so that we can incorporate that in our film. So that's a, um, an example of the process of ex the exacting process of making a film. And it just takes so long. And we've been, I'm, I'm always so grateful for how patient all of the people we've interviewed have been over these years as we've collected these interviews and we edit and edit and edit till it's beautiful. So, <laughs> And you have, um, wh who has the role of a kind of piecing this all together and seeing what the final story is? Well, um, it's a, it's very much a partnership be between me and Tony Grocky, our wonderful film editor. And to learn more about Tony Grocky, please, go to he he is um so experienced um you know i like to say tony you're famous and he just, no i saw know. his on online profile lots of famous people he's worked with yes, that's for sure yes. um so if you go to imdb you see some yeah. of the films he has done editing on and it's just so so amazing that he ended up in the in Albany. He started his career right in um, Manhattan at a place called the Brill Building, which was Tin Pan Alley. And he worked for a company called Sound One. And he started with sound editing and he quickly moved to film editing. He has stories about his interactions with Martin Scorsese and uh, Jack Nicholson, <laughs> you know, he's, he's really, he's really had his foot in the water, but here he is up here. Yeah. He wrote in his profile, he wanted the fresh air. And I know his wife is very active. She teaches at Gilderland, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've written he's... about her. She oh, was, really? Yeah. She was the union oh. president for yes. quite a few years. Yeah, but big, you know, Tony's um, editing studio is in the basement of their home. And you, you drive in and you see her union signs are in the front yard. It's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've just, our time has gone over, but I had so much more I wanted to ask you. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I, let's go, let's circle right back to the beginning. We're all part of history. Um, Yes, there are amazing people who've accomplished a lot. They are their legacy is is wonderful, but we're all wonderful in our own way. <laughs>